Get on Team Shaq with WinBet. We're playing parlays, boosting odds, and laying the wildest prop bets. Don't miss another game. Download the WinBet sports betting app today. Sign up today and win $200 in free bets when you place a $10 first-time wager on a straight bet or parlay. That's $200 that you can use for all the upcoming basketball action, including the men's basketball tournament. If you bet at least $500 during the first and second round of the tournament, you can get a trip to the five-star rated Win Las Vegas. Offer subject to change, terms, and conditions at winbet.com. Must be 21 or older and present in a state where playthrough winbet is available. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700. What's up, everyone? Welcome to episode number 32 of the That's So Mets podcast. And technically, the baseball season is underway as the Mets have played two spring training games, one of them being on SNY, a 2-0 Mets victory that obviously means nothing in the grand scheme, but was also really fun to watch. So Mets baseball is underway. Gary, Keith, and Ron back in the booth. Always good uh, good to hear those voices again. So we are going to talk a little baseball today, some spring training storylines and we're going to answer your questions. And before you know it, opening day will be here. So, Joe, let's bring in right away and get right to it. I don't know what there technically is to take away from this early in spring training, but I think it is exciting to watch the regulars back in the lineup and even a guy like Marcus Stroman, who did not pitch last year, back on the mound. That's exactly it. Uh, just it, It's good to see them back playing baseball. It, it feels like this offseason was like a year and a half long. I mean, you, we we were going through the whole ownership thing with Steve Cohen. Then that happens. And then, you know, you saw some good things out the gate. You saw some nice trades, some nice player acquisitions. And then some of the bad stuff started to happen with Jared Porter. And then things about Mickey Calloway. So it felt like this offseason was a total year long. So I'm glad to just, you know, be able to have Gary Keith and Ron on my screen again. Watch baseball, even if it's seven innings. Even if it's fake baseball, you know, see Marcus Stroman for a guy that didn't pitch at all last year, he looked he looked ready to go, and he was. Uh, I guess uh, they put on Twitter that he was sitting ninety two, ninety three on his fastball. He's basically at his career average and norm for fastball velocity in his first spring training start. So, I think Stroman's ready to go, and. He his deception. He's a fun guy to watch pitch, man. I mean, talking five foot seven. Uh, can't he's not throwing ninety seven. You know, he's not blowing the ball past you, but he can manipulate that baseball and make it hook this way, that way, dip everything. He's he's a fun guy to watch. And then you have you know, like the delayed delivery where he messes up with your timing. Yes, Stroman looked he looked on point today. He looked ready for the regular season. And then in the bullpen, we got, you know, Drew Smith looked pretty good. Sam McWilliams had a little trouble at first, but he, he settled down, got a fly out and a couple strikeouts to get out of it. And and even Jordan Yamamoto, I mean, he threw two shutout innings. So all in all, a nice pitching day. And you got a little offense. Jeff McNeil obviously hit a moonshot. And our guy, Albert Almora, how about that? Just jumping on a fastball. I thought it was, I mean, there were things to take away, even though, like you said, it's it's the fact that you're seeing some players back, especially Stroman, who did not pitch last year. I love how creative he is, right? I think he's somebody that has almost owned the process of being a smaller guy on the mound, where 
he doesn't go out on the mound and say, all right, I'm going to try to up my velocity to this, you know, this year, a couple of ticks and throw it by people. Like you said, it's all movement. Um, it's a lot of different timing things. He even said in the presser, you know, he was obviously experimenting with a new pitch. I think it's pretty cool to see somebody that has been a successful pitcher in the majors look to evolve and really grasp and own evolving his game. So I think for Stroman, that was as promising as you can ask for. It just looked like nobody could really get a good read on his stuff in those two innings, two scoreless, two perfect innings he threw. With Yamamoto, I think something that, you know, and I'm not going to pretend I'm a pitching expert, but the booth referenced it, and I noticed it right away. He's somebody that really needs to get that curveball working, and you could see how effective it can be. I I think he's far from perfect, but I also think he's somebody that, if they really get him working on that curveball as a main pitch that hitters just can't get hard contact off of as consistently, uh, he's very promising as your, what, seventh starter. I know Lucchese's probably going to be ahead of him. I-, I found it interesting that the booth was, you know, discussing, hey, it's the fifth spot seems a little wide open between Peterson, Lucchese, and Yamamoto. Uh, I think Peterson really, had, you know, and Gary did say, it does feel like Peterson has a leg up because he pitched for them last year, pitched well. I would be really surprised if it's not him barring some kind of bizarre spring. So, you know, obviously the two guys that have Stroman, that's a lock for the rotation. Yamamoto, that is going to be a emergency starter in a sense. Pretty promising. With Sam McWilliams, the hype train got a little out of control, right? It's like every single outlet had to write an article about him. And it was kind of exactly what I expected. He's far from perfect. Some guys get on. But the stuff is pretty filthy. I mean, and even without the radar gun on the broadcast, you could see him throw pitches by people. Uh, you could see it looks like he has a very sharp moving slider. So I think overall for the Mets, sure, it's very brief, but the pitching is exciting, and especially if Drew Smith, somebody that you highlighted on a recent podcast we did as a a bullpen arm that might seemingly kind of come out of nowhere and exceed expectations being finally removed from Tommy John in the capacity he is. And then when you look at the lineup, you know, not a ton going on McNeil hits an absolute bomb. I think that, and it's something we're going to talk more about probably on today's show is who were the players that we're not discussing enough to have huge seasons as we constantly talk about, you know, Lindor and Conforto over and over again, I think we often forget that McNeil might be the best pure hitter on the team, or at least there's stretches when he's one of the best pure hitters in baseball, just his approach at the plate and how well he sees the ball. Uh, he, like we always discuss, he, he looks like he gets stronger each year. He just jumped all over that pitch and, and Almora too, with a home run. And I think quietly the battle for playing time in the outfield, you know, we know Nimmo is going to play, almost every day we know Conforto is going to play every day you got to get Dom out there if there's no DH but how they use Pilar and Almora is going to be very very interesting and maybe a storyline that we have not talked about enough because you're about one outfield injury away from one of those two guys essentially playing every day yeah, no, I think Albert Almora is going to be a very, very interesting person to follow this spring. You know, ultimately, numbers don't matter, but I felt good seeing him hit that home run because his bat just hasn't been there. And he had talked about making some swing changes that he didn't really get to implement in in Chicago uh, in 2020 that he was excited to bring here. So 
I if you never know, maybe Elmore is a guy that surprises you and maybe it becomes more of a platoon with Nemo in a sense that maybe he plays more and more against lefties if if this bat really could be there. But yeah, I think it was a fun to me it was a really fun game to watch. McNeil looks like he bulked up for sure and you know, maybe maybe there's 25 30 home runs in that bat. I mean, he's got the golf swing, so he's got the ability to really get a hold of one as he showed today. So maybe there's more pop in that bat. And I think that kind of would beg the question, which is always the conversation with McNeil. Like you don't want him to sell out for power because he can win a batting title. Um, And I think if, if he goes and, you know, goes for that 25, 30 home runs, then he's probably going to end up hitting more 280 or, or something like that. And in that case, you know, I'll ask you, would you rather have a McNeil that wins a batting title and hits, I don't know, 10 to 15 home runs or a McNeil that pops 25 but hits 280-ish, let's call it? Oh, the batting title. Because on this team, McNeil doesn't need to hit that level of home runs. Now, I don't really worry about it with him because you look at 2019 where he had, you know, almost 600 plate appearances hits 23 home runs, which was a jarring number for a guy that it felt like the projections were all over the place when he was in the system, but power was not in any of the projections for McNeil. He still hit 318 and got on base at a 384 clip. So I wonder what the sweet spot is, Joe. And I think it's so hard in a complicated sport like baseball, especially hitting in baseball to find that sweet spot. But with McNeil, you know, obviously the slow start last year, he only hit four home runs in in the very short season, still hit 311 and still got on base at a three. I mean, McNeil, we've seen three seasons, two of them uh, not full seasons. McNeil's OBP has been 381, 384, and 383. So we know the guy is getting on base no matter what. And that is so vital in this lineup for him and Brandon Nimmo because, quite frankly, Alonzo's going to hit his home runs. Conforto's going to hit his home runs. I think Lindor is going to hit his home runs, something that we don't discuss enough. Love his defense, love his speed, but Lindor is a guy that can easily hit 30 home runs this year, and Dom is going to hit his home runs, and J.D. Davis is going to play every day. He's a power bat. I love McNeil's pop, and I love when McNeil jumps on a pitch and really pulls it for power, but I'm, I'm with what you were alluding to. You... Jeff McNeil in this lineup as one of the best pure on-base and average hitters in baseball is the perfect thing for this lineup. Yeah, McNeil, I think, is, like you said earlier on, he is is the best pure hitter on this team. The Mets have, I mean, as you just highlighted, the Mets have a a lot of good players. I mean, this lineup is pretty stacked. You know, the defense is going to be a worry in center field. The defense is going to be a worry in left and Defense can be a bit of a worry at third, which I found interesting how Lindor uh, actually yesterday, I believe, talked about how he's working with J.D. Davis to kind of, how can I help you out so that way your job's a little easier? You know, if you're more comfortable playing on the line, you know, I could cover a little more of that hole if I have to. And Lindor, what's impressed me a ton is his immediate leadership. Like, it's pretty hard to walk into a new environment completely where, frankly, I mean, I don't I don't know who he knew on the team outside of Carrasco, but he walked into this situation and he looks 
like a true established veteran leader that people are already attracting to and already, you know, taking information from. So that's been very exciting to see. And that to me just that locks in like he got to pay this guy, get this deal done this spring. He, I don't care about the get to know each other. You know, the Dodgers didn't get to know Mookie Betts. He didn't play for them before they extended him. So I, I think it's just something that the Mets have to do this spring is get this guy under contract. You could just tell that he loves it here already. You could tell that he is the kind of guy that you want to build around. And that's not even just looking at the back of his baseball card, which is the easy thing to do. And go on baseball reference. You could look at his MVP votes, his gold gloves, his silver sluggers, everything he's done and accomplished. But his immediate leadership qualities will only get better as he gets more comfortable and gets to know, you know, his teammates better. So to me, that's a big takeaway from the real, you know, first week of spring is how quickly Lindor has adapted himself as a leader. Spot on. I think what you traded for is more than the, you know, obviously an all-star player, a power bat, a great glove, the whole package. But when you invest you know, let's let's be real here. The Mets, if they get this done with Lindor, there's going to be a three in in that number, and it's going to be in the front. If you're investing three hundred million dollars in a guy, you want to make sure that you're also investing in, you know, a great person. And it's it's very obvious Lindor is loved universally, loved wherever he goes, and it's it's catching on quick at Mets camp. And I think that's something that is really really exciting. So. You know, it. It's. I know this is like a little reactionary to say, but I think it's much more important to get Lindor done than Conforto. And what I mean by that is, when you just take the emotion out of it and talk about positional value, I love Conforto. And I think Conforto is going to be here for a long time. I think they get the deal done with Conforto. You can, especially when you have some of the, you know, the biggest budget in baseball, you could find corner outfielders. And I'm not saying Conforto is replaceable. I don't believe that. I'm just saying, I think time is of the essence with Lindor, where I can see it. I'll put it like this, Joe. Say neither of them get done this spring, right? And we get into the next year, and if they don't get done this spring, it's it's pretty clear to me that both guys, their representation is going to at least dabble in what free agency will be like. I feel more comfortable about Conforto going out and testing the free agent market and coming back and signing with the Mets than Lindor, right? It's a tough one. I agree with you in regards to getting Lindor done first. I think, I think to me, that's putting a stamp on the offseason, in a sense, because the offseason, there was people that complained that they didn't get Springer, they didn't get Bauer, you know, there's people that will complain no matter what, but there was complaints about that. I think you trade for Lindor, and you know, you and I have harped home that what's the difference between a trade and a free agent signing? It's it's just an acquisition. Well, now they have the caveat. Well, what if they let him walk in a year? Okay. Well, you lock him in. You show that you know Steve Cohen's money is here for real. You give him that three hundred million dollars, and you lock him in now. Uh, and frankly. From a Conforto perspective, I'd like to have him done too. I just think it's the Boris factor. I know he has said he's interested, and I know he said has said that you know Boris works for him, not the other way around. 
but Boris gets his guys to free agency. And it doesn't mean he's not going to be a Met anymore. And it's just, to me, Conforto seems just way more likely to go to free agency simply because you have a a weaker corner outfield free agent market next year. It's not very strong. It is weak. And, You're and, right. And the, and the shortstop market is flush. So, if I mean, Trevor Story's a free agent. Carlos Correa, Javi Baez, Corey Seager, and Francisco Lindor. So, if you're Lindor, take that money now. Like, why, if you're Lindor, I'd love to understand why you would want to explore free agency. You're going into a flooded market at your position. And I think Lindor's the best of the bunch. But you can make an argument about Trevor Story. And then the arguments start. I... I think going into free agency, especially in a year where a new CBA is being negotiated, could potentially actually cost Lindor money rather than gain him money. Whereas on a Conforto perspective, like I, like I said on the podcast, I'd be shooting for the moon if I were Conforto and Boris right now because Conforto is going to be the best corner outfielder on the market without question. And there's no one, you can't even say like, oh, well, if you don't sign Conforto, you could sign blank and, you know, it's it's okay. Lindor, the Mets can have an argument, you know, I wouldn't do this, obviously, but they could say, all right, if you want to go free agency, then you could do that. But don't be surprised if we sign Trevor Story instead. (laughs) And, you know, you don't want to play that game, of course, you want to be building a good relationship. But from a negotiating standpoint, if you're Lindor, and the Mets are showing interest in giving you $300 million or Heck, if it's 285, 200, whatever, you know, a real lot of money, take that money now. I wouldn't want to go into next year's market if I was Lindor. I'm with you. I think that would be, it's risky, you know, and to each their own. And maybe they'll know things about the market that we don't expect. But I'll say this. It feels like the Mets are going to be aggressive in talks with both these guys this month. And, and maybe the optimist in me, you know, the internal optimist is thinking that. But it, I really think that, one, you don't make that trade unless you're going to be ingre- aggressive in paying the guy long term. And I think there is a feeling on the Conforto side of things, you know, with Sandy, that this was his homegrown talent. He, ca- he carries himself in a fantastic way. He really, I don't think the Mets have a void since David Wright has not been around. And what I mean by that is not retirement, just the injury and has not been a significant piece. Like, I feel like Pete has a lot of energy. You know, Conforto, obviously, is probably the quiet internal clubhouse leader. But, I, you know, the Mets, I don't even think they have an identity problem with any sense. But I do think there's something interesting with the Mets because of the Wilpon era, nothing to do with Steve Cohen. You know, you let a guy like Zach Wheeler walk out the door and, you know, even going way back, they never really made a real effort to keep a guy like Reyes. And it was even, it always seemed like for a long time that they wouldn't get a deal done with Cespedes, although they did. I think there's going to be a, a different kind of um, effort around here to form an identity of this team in big windows, right? And what I mean by that is, it wouldn't shock me if Lindor signs an eight-year deal and Conforto gets a seven-year deal. And then you're looking at this core, and this is just off the top of my head. I'm not going to Google service time at the very moment. But then you're looking at it and you go, okay, we're in a pretty big window here where, you know, and the Mets had this window and 
in 2006 and leading up to 2006 and, and throughout the next couple of years, even with the collapses, they had a window of those players together where you're going, okay, Lindor, Conforto, Pete, McNeil, you know, Dom. It, you, this team is good enough. This lineup is good enough to get you to a World Series if you fill in the holes around them. And I think, and we're going to learn a lot. It's it's hard to sit here and absolutely say, hey, they're going to get this done because it takes two sides to get a deal of that these magnitudes, both Lindor and Conforto, done. But I think, you know, as a Mets fan, considering not only how aggressive they've been, but also Sandy saying in the recent press conference that, hey, if we went and signed George Springer, it would have been pretty tough to keep Conforto around. It feels like there was a certain level of patience with the Mets this offseason while they spent a lot of money and solved a lot of holes. They've had both of these guys staying long-term on the back of their minds. Yeah, that they for sure looked ahead when they were making moves. There's There was nothing outlandish that was done that impacts them in a big way financially long-term. Like James McCann getting $10 million a year is not really a big deal. A guy like Taiwan Walker signing the multi-year deal where essentially from a luxury tax perspective, it's like seven million a year like those things are fine you could give those for a couple years but they kept their books open because and and we didn't even mention Noah Syndergaard who Sandy also mentioned as someone that you know they're gonna consider having conversations with about an extension like if you were to keep Lindor Conforto and Syndergaard you're probably looking at almost 600 million dollars between those three guys 550 whatever something like that like yeah quite easily a crap ton of money (laughs) so it's they're not saving their bucks per se but they're just they're keeping their budget in order which is what smart teams do i mean the dodgers are what the model right that's what we're talking about and we've been talking about for months be the east coast dodgers the dodgers keep themselves in such a smart financial spot where you know after this year a whole bunch of their money flies off the books. So they're fine giving Trevor Bauer that $45 million next year where you know it's not going to hurt them financially at all. And they'll probably be able to dip back under a luxury tax without without much issue. So yeah, I think the Mets are just, they're setting themselves up. And I understand impatience from fans. They have dealt with losing for long enough and they want to win now. But Like you said, we want to build a window here where we don't just want to win in 2021 and then in 2022 or 23 be no good. Like we want to be a competitor every year. So it takes stretching that money out and, you know, giving it to people at the right times and for the right length of time. Like you said, with Lindor and Conforto, I mean, if you go eight for Lindor and seven for Conforto, for example, you're you're setting up that window of, these are our offensive core pieces for the next eight years. And those are their prime years too. I mean, these guys are 27, 28 years old. So you're not signing, you know, a 32-year-old to a seven-year deal. So I think they're I think they're setting themselves up right. And I think Met fans should be should be confident. And I, I guess I understand questions because until the deal's done, it's not done. Um but if they get one of these extensions done this spring, I think you should feel very optimistic going forward. If they get none, ugh, I'm even I'm going to be like, oof, Steve Cohen's got the money, but you want to send all these guys out to free agency and have to bid against for all of them? Ugh, I'd, I'd rather not. 
to to close this combo, Joe, gut prediction. Did they get none done, one done, or both done? Lindor gets done this spring is my prediction. And Conforto and Conforto goes to free agency and comes back to the Mets, but he goes to free agency. I'm with you. I do think you bring up a great point that corner outfield being insanely weak next year is a little bit of a risk with Conforto. But I, I agree with you. I think there is going to be a different level of, um, you know, just a, a different level of focus on making sure that Lindor is all set, that that one will get done. And we'll see how it plays out. As we do every week, we're going to take some questions here. we got some really good ones. And if you ever want to send any in, I would say the easiest way to do that is just tweet them at That's So Mets. Uh, that's so Mets. Joe does a great job of sending out a reminder every single week of a tweet that you can just respond to, keep it all in the thread. If we miss your question, send it in the following week. We'll try to catch up on all of them. And this week we have three here. And I love this first one. It's from at Johnny STSN. Besides Alonzo, who do you guys think is the most likely candidate to hit 40 homers? How likely do you think it is that anyone else hits that mark this year? I'll start with you, Joe. I don't think anyone else will. Um, I think it's very unlikely that anyone else will. But if you put a gun to my head and said, you have to pick one, I'd say, you know, Conforto. I mean, he hit over 30. He's in his walk year. Maybe he jumps up a few more homers and, and hits 40 on on his way to free agency and gets that $200 million from the Mets. Would not surprise me if... I guess it would surprise me if Conforto did because, like you hinted at, we've seen, you know, from 2017, 2019, 27, 28, 33. And then last year he hit nine. So Conforto is – it feels like Conforto's really at his best when he's locked in as like a gap hitter rather than just a all-or-nothing kind of hitter. I mean, even last year. Nine home runs in 54 games is far from some crazy pace. I mean, he, he pro- in a full season last year, he would have been right between his typical 27 to 33, but he hit 322 and got on base at a 412 clip. I'll say, I'll say Dom. I think that Dom last year really unlocked some power that, I mean, in just a little under 200 plate appearances, he hit 10 home runs. So I don't think he gets there either, but something we forget about with Dom is he's 25 years old. He has figured out a lot of things over the years and is a great example of just because a guy didn't figure it out right away, his first two years in the majors, you know, as a 22 and 23-year-old, were far from successful. Even slimming down weight wise his power has was pretty jarring last year in the shortened season I mean like I said under 200 plate appearances 10 home runs a tremendous approach at the plate and the lineup around him I don't know I think I I don't think Dom will get to 40 but if Dom has that 30 home run season out of nowhere I mean the guys never hit more than 11 in a year He's not even 26 yet. I think Dom has a lot more power than than we generally realize at times. Maybe because he just has such a good approach to the plate where he 
he really levels himself out and knows not to get too home run happy, it feels like. Yeah, with Dom, like like you said, I, I think of him as a gap hitter. Like, I think of him as just crushing doubles, like, 40 like a 40 double kind of guy that's how I look at Dom but you're absolutely right in 2020 he jumped on the baseball which is something that throughout his minor league career when I was covering him there one of the big things was he he didn't jump on that inside pitch and pull it for a homer he would try to inside out it for a hit he was so focused going the other way for some hitters it just it takes time to get that confidence and everything to when a fastball's coming in you know you turn your hips and you get through the ball and you pull it for a homer like Dom took some time to get there and I think I think now he's he's there like I feel I feel Dom Smith right now is in the spot to have his best year of his career um, for at least a full season you know 60 game season was awesome he got an MVP vote everything was great there but yeah I think Dom's in for a big 2021 for sure and like you said in this lineup I don't even know where they're hitting him. Four, five, six. Like he's, you're talking about a third potential thirty home run bat that you just throw in like the sixth spot in your order. It's crazy. the The lineup, the lineup is seriously talented. Yeah, yeah, it is. It, it is loaded with power too. That's the thing. Like the funniest thing is, we just had this conversation, and we went through. You know, we we Pete was ruled out right away and we talked about Conforto as the obvious one and then Dom is a not so obvious one I mean when Lindor was 24 years old Joe he hit 38 home runs <laughs> in a year that's crazy yeah. for Lindor now I don't think he'll hit 40 but he's the one that's been right there I mean 33 38 32 he's got serious serious pop for such a young player that has really not even entered his prime yet. He's probably just entering it now. So, so he, that goes actually, to show you how much pop they have as a team. And here's the fun question. So maybe, you know, off of this one, how many guys hit 30 home runs? Ooh, man. Well, I'm going to say, I mean, duh, we're going to say Pete. If Pete doesn't he, hit 30, that's just scary. He got Lindor. hurt. If, if he doesn't hit 30, he got yeah, hurt. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Pete, Lindor, Conforto. I don't think Conforto does. You don't think so? Okay. I think he'll sit between twenty-five and twenty-nine. He'll sit around twenty-five, <laughs> and I think, and he'll just. I think he's just gonna rake. Okay. But, Dom, uh, same thing. I think yeah. Dom sits around twenty-five. Okay. McNeil, you don't. You, you think he jumps up to thirty? Twenty to twenty-five. All right. So only a, you know only, who's those, only a couple. The wild card plus. is JD. If, if JD's he, got serious power. If he gets enough playing time, it's certainly he certainly could hit 30 home runs. But maybe I mean if we set the number to 25, then you're talking about most of the lineup, right? Which is which is incredible. Yeah. And the reason I'm projecting low on all of them is because you know, one of those guys is going to hit 30. It's one of them, whether it's Dom, JD, Conforto, uh maybe McNeil, which would be nuts. But I just think that in this lineup with Pete and Lindor and I just think guys won't be pressing for the home run as much. And maybe that's like an, me being way too optimistic. I just, I don't think they need to be that way anymore with how rounded they are. I mean, we didn't even get to McCann who 
won't play enough to get 30 home runs, but McCann's got pop at the bottom of the lineup. Yeah, no, it's top to bottom, a lineup littered with power, and you have guys that could get on base too. Like JD, even though he didn't have the offensive year that, you know, we thought he would based on 2019, he still got on base at a high clip. And Nimmo and McNeil are two of the best at getting on base in baseball. So, yeah, they're they're set up to score a lot of runs this year. Which is exciting. And the next question kind of relates to that because as we just gush over this lineup, this has to do with the guys that will not be in the lineup every day. This one from Jake Ratchlin. Out of the bench, guys, who do you see contributing the most on a regular basis throughout the season? Guillaume comes to mind for me, but I think getting uh, VR speed out there regularly would help us win some games. Interested in your guys' thoughts? Let's go Mets. I'm going to go with VR because they're getting him some run at third base too, which I think is interesting. So I think you might see maybe not a straight platoon, but maybe some real split time between J.D. Davis and Jonathan VR and, you know, sprinkle Guillaume around the infield too. So I think I'd go VR or my, or I don't know, maybe it's just because I saw him hit a dinger today. Albert Almora, who knows? There could be, maybe there's more in that bat. I mean, he has hit before. It's not like he's hit, you know, 200 for his whole career. Like he has hit before and Brandon Nimmo has struggled against left-handers, you know, outside of getting on base because he gets on base against everyone, but he struggled to hit against lefties. So you wonder if the defense and, you know, batting against lefties Maybe Almora gets a little more run than we think he would and sneakily sneakily gives some real production this year. He is interesting because you feel pretty comfortable that, you know, Nimmo's not a true center fielder, but he's going to have to play there. And while Pilar has had some great days in center field, those days are behind him. The numbers don't lie. He's He's declined in that area over the years. Almora... It, I mean, explain. it doesn't make sense to me, Joe. He's not old enough where he should be declining out there in center field. He's 26 years old. I don't see why he can't find himself again as a positive out there in center field. And if the bat even shows any kind of life, then he's going to be out. He's going to be playing a lot if that's the case. Yeah, I, I mean, defensive, for a bench guy, de- right? Defensive metrics are interesting because they really like go based on how much you play. So it's not like you know your outs above average is based on, and then they like divide by innings. It's just how much you play can can put that together. Defensive run saves or o- OAA, and yeah, I think if Almora gets some real run, or even if it, like I said, it's a split role with Nimmo then, yeah, I think you'll see his outs above average and defensive run saves will be positive. I I would bet on it. And to answer the question, it's hard to go with anyone but VR because, you know, in the last regular season we had, I mean, the guy hit 24 home runs and hit 274 and and stole stole 40 bags. Yeah, he was a a four-win player in 2019 and played all 162 games. So if you're talking, like, guy on the bench who's most likely to, like, be a big boom, how could you possibly pick anyone but the guy who just basically one full season ago was a four-win player and hit over 20 bombs and stole 40 bases? Like, it, it almost feels obvious to say VR, right? It does, but I like that it leads to a conversation of 
the bench is such a wild card for the Mets, and in a way better way than recently. Usually we're like talking about career-long AAA guys that we're hoping like find themselves to contribute. This year it's more figuring out like, okay, who's going to stick out from, like is Almora going to bounce back? Is Pilar going to, you know, be Pilar, who's pretty consistent if he's your fourth outfielder? We know what VR can do offensively and the way he runs the bases, especially in this awful extra innings rule format. And we haven't even talked to – and we know Guillaume is going to play because of the way his defense is and he flashed with the bat last year. We didn't even talk about if Jose Martinez can make this team and kind of be that specialist as a pinch hitter, right, as a situational guy. Yeah, the, the bench is deeper than it's been. There's no question about it. And deeper with guys that – have actually had real major league success like if like whenever the Mets would play a backup and if I was going to the park I'd be like oh oh he's playing today like it's an out. If, if yeah if I go to the ballpark and you know I walk in and I see the lineup on you know with all the nice cards that they have right above the Jackie Robinson rotunda and I see Kevin Pilar's picture up there or I see Jonathan VR's picture up there I'm not like oh he's playing today I'm like all right they still got a chance to win. Those guys are going to give you professional at bats and you know, they can hit the ball out of the ballpark. They can both run a little bit. Uh, yeah. I, I think the bench is in the best spot it's been. And a guy like Jose Martinez or even Almora, like those guys have minor league options. So they're really battling for that last bench spot. Otherwise the other one's gonna find himself in Syracuse. Final question for episode number 32. This from One Shining Mets. Always sends really great stuff. With the new brain trust above him, do you expect to see Luis Rojas managed differently? What do you think his strengths and weaknesses were last year? What do you think, Joe? Uh, Maybe a little. uh, With Zach Scott now as the GM, coming from that analytics background, and the Mets are bringing in hitting and pitching coordinators and things like that. So they're really, they're starting to get into that analytics. You know, they're hiring a guy from driveline and, you know, they're, they're working out some analytics stuff. The one thing I could see managing differently is maybe using a little more analytics than, than he had in the past. Uh, Rojas is versed in analytics and he's obviously got the old school from uh, the Alou family. So he's kind of in a way, the best of both worlds that he has a little bit of both. He's not too far one way. Um, strengths, I, strengths to me is keeping the clubhouse together and having respect of his players, which to me might be the most important job of managing in baseball nowadays. Cause so much of it is, you know, from above a little bit. And so much of it is numbers based where it's, it almost feels like anyone can manage a game quote unquote, right. You know, know who to bring in and what time that kind of stuff. Like that seems a little, a little simpler nowadays, but there's you can't teach the ability to motivate players to show up to the park every single day to play 162 games and give their all. And I think Rojas has the respect and for, of the players because he coached a lot of them throughout the minor leagues, which is the benefit that he came through the old school way of he managed an A ball, then double A, triple A, you know, and just went up the ladder. He coached these guys, so they they respect him and. You know, they want to play hard for him. To me, that's his biggest strength. And then as far as weakness, you know, it with, I guess, almost any manager, right? It's bullpen utilization. And that's really it. But part of bullpen utilization is having good relievers. And the Mets relievers stunk. So 
it wouldn't matter who we put in what spot, the relievers were not going to succeed outside of Edwin Diaz and Seth Lugo, basically, and maybe Ju- uh, Justin Wilson, too, here and there. But, yeah, I think bullpen utilization he could maybe do a better job of, but hopefully they're giving him better relievers to work with because that makes the job a hell of a lot easier when you don't have to turn to bad guys and hope for positive results. And I think for Rojas, just going into this year knowing that you're going to have quality arms throw one through five rather than what they dealt with last year. It was like, it felt like 90% of his time last year was spent on figuring out who was going to be able to pitch that day, right? Whether they were moving guys from the bullpen or bringing guys up. I think his life will be so much easier this year in terms of, hey, we have a starting rotation. If a guy goes down, we have two guys waiting to, to come up and be ready to go. So I think with Rojas... That's like Joe said, what we want to see out of him that we just don't know is how will he manage a bullpen that has a little bit, you know, has more assets now, especially when Lugo's back, there's assets there. I think when it comes to strengths, like Joe said as well, he managed these guys in the minors. I think it's obvious he knows how to connect with them. Uh, He's bilingual. He's a very intelligent guy. I think he, he understands everyone's a little different where he doesn't need to be this rah-rah manager. You have Francisco Lindor, Pete Alonso, Brandon Nimmo, all these guys in the clubhouse that are, I mean, they fire up themselves and fire up each other where he doesn't really need to be that guy. And it's it's probably for the better, right? To be more level-headed, laid back, and just get his his lineup and get his guys ready to play in, in a more chill kind of sense. So I'm excited to see Rojas this year and really get a fair shake with a, with a real rotation. It's going to be... It's it's going to be really exciting to see how he manages a lot of different personalities, but I think in a really, really good way. So that wraps up episode 32. Obviously a lot of fun to have baseball back on the TV, Mets baseball back on the TV. And by the time we record next week, we'll have a lot more to react to. So Joe, closing thoughts for today's show. Yeah, just glad baseball's back. It was nice to hear the SMY theme song. Like, I always get giddy the first time. Like, I feel like the first spring game that's on SMY, I always make sure I put it on, like, five, 10 minutes early because I want to make sure I don't miss, you know, their initial preview package and hit hearing that song for the first time just gets me going. And yeah, no, excited, excited to get rolling. And, you know, I think we, you know, I teased a little bit and we'll, we'll reveal more next week, but I think we have a couple guests that we're going to be having on one, I think is going to be really fun and unique that, uh, I don't think people will, think about as a possible guest for that so Mets podcast but pretty excited to have that guest on and then obviously we have a uh, a really really big one at least in my opinion and I think a lot of Twitter and you guys will agree I, I I think next week we'll drop that and you know on March 16th we'll we're gonna have a big time guest on that so Mets podcast and I can't wait for the next couple weeks to get these guys on and and talk baseball it's going to be awesome. I'll say this. It is a conversation that you can't get anywhere else. And Correct. not to give too many hints away, yeah. but I'll say this. It's somebody that you probably haven't heard enough content with and and you're going to want to. Yeah. So with he, that, he doesn't yeah, do ahead, he, he doesn't really you don't see one-on-one interviews with the with this I'll, I'll I say mean, guy. we've only been yeah. working on this yeah. booking for, for yeah. how, we, since we, the beginning of the show. <laughs> we've, been, we've been working on it for a bit. This guy doesn't really do one-on-one interviews. Uh I'll leave it at that, but next week we'll drop who that is and I think it's going to be really exciting for everybody. 
Thank you so much, everyone. That wraps up episode number 32, and we'll catch you next week. Now you can get McDonald's crispy chicken sandwich. McDonald's spicy crispy chicken sandwich. And or filet of fish. Any two for just six bucks. Sounds really good, doesn't it? Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Prices and participation may vary. A single item at regular price cannot be combined with any other offer.